Welcome to the Creators on Comics podcast. This podcast is a conversation between two creators, dissecting the craft and technique that goes into creating comics. This episode features two talented writers who have been celebrating their newest books together on Twitter as Dead Girl Winter. Anas Abdullah is the writer of Etherus, a one-shot published by Sourcepoint Press, and Fellhound is the Ringo-nominated writer and artist of Commander Rao, here to talk about her latest book, And We Love You, published by Scout Comics. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of Creators on Comics. Um, my name is Anas Abdulhaq, and I'm a writer and poet from Syria. And I'm here joined by the wonderful Fel Hound to talk about my book, Etheris, and their book, And We Love You. Hi, Fel. Hi, Anas. Very nice to chat with you again. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. I am obsessed with And We Love You. And I, you know, I can't wait to get into uh, quote-unquote Dead Girl Winter, which is what we... <laughs> What we've been calling our two books together. Oh gosh, I know, right? Although I guess by the time of this recording, it's it's technically Sad Girl Spring. We've moved on. Yes, yes, it's it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I I read Ethers. I am in love with it. It is it's gorgeous. It is so powerful. Like I I am so hyped for you that this book is out in the world. I mean, I can say the exact same thing about and we love you. Like I. I don't cry at comics often, and I think the last time I cried reading a comic book was like Dan Slott and um, Michael and Laura Allred's Silver Surfer finale, when, I don't know if you've read this, but spoiler alert, uh, the companion that Silver Surfer goes with, Don Greenwood, she passes away of old age at the last issue, and that just like shred my heart to pieces, <laughs> and I cried. So I don't think I've cried since then reading a comic book, but I legit like felt anguish and like my eyes were welling up reading And We Love You. It was so powerful. Oh, yes, the pain. The, the pain. Bonds us all. <laughs> I guess, did you want to start off with a question? Do you want me to start off with a question? You can start off. Okay, yeah. Well, I guess uh, my first question is that now that it is, Dead Girl Winter has died off and it is now Sad Girl Spring. You know, it's time to let our, our feelings out. So I'm just wondering, like, how does it feel now that to have your book out in the world in shops? Like, how great is that feeling? It's it's fantastic. It's scary um, because it feels very weird putting out such a vulnerable and personal piece out into the world. Um, and just like bearing your soul to everyone, basically. Uh, lots of people who I don't know basically picked it up just from looking at the cover you know and they have no idea what they were going into like I've been talking about this book for months on social and like introducing people to the concept and like what I'm trying to achieve with this so it's scary seeing like people's reactions this is something that they're not aware of but at the same time it's very exciting and it's really like a bucket list item like to just checked you know having my name in comic book shops is, has been a dream and it's finally happened I mean congratulations and I think especially having this book as a debut it's an incredibly strong debut and I'm glad to hear that you know people just picked it up based on the, the cover and they got to experience how wonderful it is so congrats well, thank you I mean you know if you look at Dennis Menhir's cover you it's impossible not to pick it up oh straight at Dennis is something <laughs> and that's the same can be said about Angela Wu's cover because that is by far one of the most striking covers I've seen on comics in the past decade or so 
Oh my gosh. Well, I'm going to make sure that Angela hears that because she is fantastic. She is super talented. I think honestly, hiring her to do a cover for this book was one of the best decisions I've made in my life. <laughs> She's so talented. Well, congrats to you as well for putting out And We Love You and Shops. Uh, we, we've really so close together. It feels like, you know, fate and destiny to just like break people's hearts and make them sad. Um, I wanted to ask you, how does it feel to like, how is it different for you, the process of putting out a book via Kickstarter or crowdfunding and then re-releasing it through the direct market? Like what's the difference been for you as a creator? Yeah, so I think during the Kickstarter, I definitely, because I only have like 30 days to hype up about this book and get as much kind of traction as possible. For me, those 30 days were like really intense and honestly brought about a lot of stress and yeah. anxiety. Um, but I, I think overall, though, there's also a lot more. I don't I don't know. I feel like there's a lot more like personal sort of um fulfillment from having that Kickstarter because it's like something that I can I guess like control. Like I can control how the book looks, I control the prints, and I like having that sort of like direct connection with the consumers when I send out all the packages. Like I sent out a bunch of like little like fun doodles to all my friends who back the book so it's stuff like that that I really enjoy like connecting with people directly and I you know I, I love have you know it's a great feeling having the book out in stores as well um and I think having that kind of it's almost like a different it's a very different market from Kickstarter and the direct market because now you're not sort of preaching directly to your customers you're trying to get your books into shops which is yeah. Yeah, it's just it's something I'm still trying to wrap my head around because I think it's it's a different market and it's one that I'm not as experienced in. So every time I, you know, since Commander Out, I've been trying to do new things just to figure that market out. But at the end of the day, it's very cool seeing the book on stands and comic book shops. That's for sure. I remember seeing your um your care packages like that you were you were making for the comic book shops to convince them to pick up and we love you and they were just gorgeous like if I was a comic book shop you know owner and I got that I was like oh like I would definitely order that right away <laughs> oh I, I mean I hope comic shops felt the same I actually got that idea because I was seeing a mad cave like send out little packages to shops and I thought that was really cool so I mean I don't have as much money as mad cave but I was like <laughs> you know, I'll send out a couple and just see how it is <laughs> yeah, a really good idea thank you uh my next question to you is like I guess like you know what was the inspiration behind Everest? Because it's obviously a very poetic and it seems like a very personal book, as you said. So I was wondering if you wanted to like speak more on the. It is. Um, I mean, if we're going to get like super into it or like, you know, the the real, real uh, story behind how it came to fruition. I started writing Etheris right after my father passed away. Uh, we had a very complicated relationship. We were not on speaking terms for a very long time. And, you know, we reconnected before his passing and but there was like no closure really there was not a lot of there was a lot of like unresolved feelings and I needed a way to address that I needed a way to like re you know reckon with that and just I, I needed catharsis really <laughs> and so I started writing poetry which is usually my go-to when I get so overwhelmed with emotion I just start writing and you know I the, the pain was too close to home and so personal to me that I felt like I needed to distance myself to it so I just created this fantasy world to put my pain into and I put all my pain into this character which I'm so sorry for <laughs> she's had to suffer so much <laughs> um but yeah I started writing these poems and the poems are actually in chronological order so as I was kind of 
really healing, the poems were coming out. So the first three poems in the book were like right at like a, a couple of weeks uh, into the whole like, you know, ordeal. And then the last three poems were years later where I was in a much better place and I was recovering. And I felt like those poems were really um, adding good, like, adding, you know, a good closure and ending to the journey. And Etheris was built from there, from the ground up. It was always going to be a poetry comic book. It just, I just never figured out the ending until I actually had a, had, you know, had the closure that I wanted personally. Yeah. I mean, that's, thank you for sharing that. I think that's a very powerful and thoughtful look at how, you know, comics can really be a very cathartic process to help, I, I guess, like people sort out their, their feelings or like confront a lot of that pent up. Yeah. For me, like, Comics are, are, you know, therapy, honestly, like everything that I've put out so far, whether it be Eleutheromania or Objects of the Mirror or now Etheris, they've all dealt with very personal things and like, you know, feelings that I had, whether it be about freedom and liberation, whether it be about found family and finding your place in the world, or whether it be about death. So I always have to like inject something that is very personal to like, you know, tell my story in a way, um, but make it fictionalized and fantastical in a sense. So I think it is is a, it's a, a, comics as a form is can be very therapeutic. Oh, definitely, one hundred percent. And I did notice that kind of theme, like re reading um, Methodist and Objects in the Mirror, um, and the um, I haven't been with Romania. Yes, um, there is um, you know, a very common theme which with I I think like confronting those emotions and like trying to break free of them that I've noticed in your work, which yeah. I think is very cool. It's very endearing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, you know, for me, it's, I put out these stories. I make them abstract in a sense that I want anybody to be able to connect to them and apply them, the stories to themselves and get something out of it. And if I could like have one person um, find, you know, comfort in those feelings being embraced rather than shunned and hidden away, uh, then I, I feel fulfilled, you know? And that's really been my, my mission is just to tell these stories, express myself, and hopefully someone connects to them. I think I think you're doing a really great job and I'm really excited to see what, what other comics you put out. <laughs> Thank you. The more pain on the way, I promise. <laughs> my soul. <laughs> Tell me about you. What was the inspiration behind and we love you? And you know, how why did you choose to do a prequel to Commander Rao? Yeah, so uh to be honest, the inspiration behind And We Love You is actually quite similar to your uh, um your I guess the story you told about your father. Uh, I had the idea for And We Love You about 10 years ago after my grandma passed away. Um, and I think it was also that kind of journey for me confronting that grief of like watching someone that you spend a lot of time with that you cared about sort of uh, pass away from you. And the fact that there wasn't really anything you could do about it, but watch. And I think that was you know, I was 18 at the time, and I consider that pretty young, and I think I just didn't know how to process those feelings, because it was really the first time I'd seen someone, like, die. Um, so, yeah. And We Love You was that way for me, again, being that cathartic process of, like, just working out those feelings and, and writing about it, and I think at the time, you know, I also had a lot of feelings that I didn't know how to talk about. So in my head, I was like, if I didn't know how to talk about it, I was going to make a comic book and hopefully share those feelings. So then, you know, make other people feel the way I did back then when I was really hurt and sad. And the reason why it's connected to Commander Rao, 
is actually kind of a, <laughs> a bit of a fluke. Like I made Commander Rao as a practice comic and then Commander Rao took off more than I thought it would. And at that point, I really wanted to make Andy love you, but I wasn't sure if it was going to sell because it was kind of weird conceptually in my head. So I was like, what if I just like hooked and we love you combined it into its commander Rao story so then i can like kind of let it write the coattails almost and then help me sell the comic that way as a prequel <laughs> so it was a bit of like i don't know marketing planning in my head there they started off as two different things and just ended up being combined into one thing because i wanted people to read this book <laughs> <laughs> i think it worked out re really, really well because they do feel like you know very cohesive two bodies of work that are distinct but at the same time very um in sync emotionally and i love that about them like there's a synergy to these two stories that just work so well hand in hand as like a one-two gut punch yeah like i, I was a little worried at first because commander rao is like really action-packed and now we love you is more like it's a slower <laughs> paced i guess but i'm glad that people you know, were taken with, I guess, the emotions of the story, and they were able to kind of forget about the <laughs> all the action and all that. If anything, I feel like And We Love You really um, expands on him and on Commander Rao in a very beautiful way because it adds so much more context to the story. So I read Commander Rao first, and then I read And We Love You right after, like back to back. That was that was my first time reading both of them, and I finished Commander Rao, and I was like, okay, like. Love it, badass warrior, angry at the world, revenge. Love it. But then when I read And We Love You, I was like, oh no, Rao, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Always okay. tragic uh, One last question before we like move on to this to the next uh, question. What about the title? How do you come up with And We Love You? Uh, yeah, so um, the original title for the longest time for And We Love You was actually The Girl with Technicolor Blood. Um, I, I, like, I drew this comic three times before I settled on the final version that we see now. And back then it was always titled The Girl with Technicolor Blood. But that title was very long and I needed a new title. So I actually also wrote um, a lot of poetry when I was in high school. And one of the poems that I wrote was called And We Love You. And I wrote it for like based off another comic idea I had that was also about war and suffering and sadness but I, I felt like the themes from that poem also applied to the work of this book so then I just um kind of copped the title from that poem and put it in this book instead <laughs> are we the same person right I feel like <laughs> what I'm hearing I'm like we probably are the same <laughs> yeah we have like so much in common in both themes and things that we enjoy like I I, th I think of you as a fondly as a friend and I really like love, love you so much like as a person so I'm like getting to know you better now I'm like oh my god like we have so much in common <laughs> know, right? likewise oh my gosh I, I feel like the, the bonding of that girl winter has really brought us together <laughs> <laughs> yes maybe maybe dead girl winter was the friends we made along the way <laughs> oh my gosh yes but yeah um so my ne my next question for you I guess is um like working with Dennis on others because Dennis's art is amazing your poetry is absolutely amazing so I was just wondering you know what the process of uh, collaborating with Dennis was like because it seems like you guys had really great synergy on this book we really did like we me and Dennis started off just you know meeting online just as many comic book creators do a lot across the world 
but way before we started working on Ethereum, we became really good friends. So there was that trust build, there was that rapport, and we understood each other's styles very well. So I had written Etheris, as I mentioned, back in like 2019. But by the time Dennis started receiving the script, um, I was rewriting it as I was sending it to him because I wanted to I wanted it to fit his style. So I kept thinking, how would Dennis approach this in his style visually? And so really, like there was a lot of rewrites until Dennis kept getting the final pages. Like, I think he rem I remember him telling me, like, send me the last 10 pages. And I was like, I will. I'm just like trying to think of a way to, to make them for you, you know? Uh, and of course, Dennis had a lot of creative freedom in this bot project. He always brought ideas forward and I was very open to them because I trusted his vision. So like I would always tell him, everything in the script is completely just a suggestion. Feel free to completely ignore it and do your own thing. And not that he did a lot of times, but like he would always come and be like, okay, I have two sketches for this page. Uh, you know, we can go with this direction. We could go with this direction. And I'm like, you know what, I feel better about option B. And he's like, that's my favorite one. And like, it was always in sync. So it was really beautiful. I think he did a beautiful job. I don't, I can't imagine making this book with anybody else at this point. I don't think they would have um, matched his energy because he also put a lot of heart into it because he, again, as, as, as us, he had suffered a personal loss as well. And he brought that emotion into the book. So I think it worked really well. Yeah, I mean, I, I love to hear that. I love that you guys really had a great working relationship and you're able to like bounce ideas off each other. I think that really makes for like the best collaboration and it really comes out, you know, in others because, you know, everything is so, it's very profound, but it's also sort of abstract and ethereal. And I think, you know, pulling something off like that really requires like a deep understanding between the words and the art and, and where you're both coming from. So yeah, like it's, it's a beautiful work of art and it's it's wonderful thank you honestly i feel the same way i feel like this is my favorite thing i've ever made and it's gonna be a while until i feel like i can top this like <laughs> this is gonna be like my magnum opus for the for a long time oh uh, well, and i know you'll make other things that are also as amazing <laughs> they can all be tied <laughs> um but like for your experience you are a solo creator so you're usually used to writing and, you know, illustrating your own work. Um, but now that you're moving forward, are you planning on, you know, playing different roles in the creative teams? How are, how are you progressing? Or how, you know, how are you tackling the future projects that you're working on? Yeah, so my, my my deep, dark secret is that I actually want to do more writing. Um, <laughs> I felt like, you know, I've done some writing, like, on my own work, but I feel like whenever I get, like, you know, asked to be part of projects is it's usually as an artist. And that and that's mm -hmm. cool. Like I, I like drawing, but drawing takes a lot of time. And I have a lot of stories that I want to tell. So I, I've been trying to do more writing and I've been trying to like collaborate with more people to do more co-writing. Um and honestly being kind of a, a someone who does all my own art and writing, sometimes I feel like I go a little insane because I'm just like <laughs> talking to myself and talking to a wall and not sure if everything works out but I found that you know now that I'm like co-writing co-developing some other things with some people I'm finding that process to be a lot more fun and less lonely and less prone to me burning out just because there's always someone there that I could just like you know I, I guess rely on creatively when I'm in a stump I love that yeah it's it's definitely like comics are a collaborative process like you know, it, it works best when you're just 
in a team and you're all just bouncing ideas off each other. I, I, it's one of my favorite things. And also one of my least favorite things because of the waiting, because of the constant waiting, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just a writer. So I'm always just like handing out these babies and I'm like, raise them <laughs> and they come back to me fully fledged. But I'm like, it takes forever. <laughs> Yeah, it's like planting a tree, you know, it's it's going to grow up to be something beautiful one day. It, it just takes a little time and a little watering, you know. Very true, yes. Yeah, so um, you mentioned that, you know, you have a poetry background, you really liked um, writing poetry. So I was wondering if you had any, like, favorite poems that sort of inspired your writing style? Uh, so, you know, I think anyone who's read my poetry can pretty much, uh, like, tell that it's different from what you know you can find in usual poetry books or you know by contemporary poets uh that's because my poetry is really inspired by arabic poetry uh arabic poetry is very melodic it's very rhythmic it's almost song-like uh so we rely heavily on tone and rhyme and weight we call that like the weight of the words as they flow uh so i i tried to incorporate that into my english poetry because i just love that aspect of our poetry so much that i just wanted to bring it to the english and it's landed with some people, but some people have not really liked it a lot, <laughs> especially people who are like, you know, into English poetry. They're like, oh, this is not poetry. And I'm like, well, you know, that's a very narrow view of what poetry could be. Oh, um, they are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, to each their own at the end of the day. But I mean, I guess it would make sense once you understand that I'm not really, really writing uh, poetry for English. I'm writing poetry for Arabic, you know. And as for Arabic, some of my favorite poets are like, there's Nizar Kabbani, he's a Syrian poet, he's one of the greats, he's like an icon. Um, you know, so many of his poems actually ended up being used as songs, like as song lyrics, they would be incorporated and reworked into songs, and it's always so beautiful and melodic. Um, there's also Mahmoud Darwish, he's a Palestinian poet, also beautiful work. There's so many amazing poets in our, you know, in our, in Arabic, and what I love about Arabic poetry is that if you look at, you know, medieval poetry back in like the early, you know, rise of the Islamic nation, for example, uh, and to and poetry now, it still retains that same weight and that same melody that it does, as opposed to like, you know, contemporary poetry being very different and more prose that rather than um, old school poetry, like, you know, Homer's poetry of like the Iliad. Um yeah. So yeah, that's my inspiration, really, Arabic poetry. And if anybody wants to get into that, I would be happy to recommend some volumes of Nizar Kabbani's work. It might not land the same way in English as it does in Arabic because it's all based on a lot of metaphors that work best in Arabic, but I think you'll find the beauty in them all the same. Yeah, oh, that, that's very cool. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm learning a lot and I definitely love to look up some of these um, poets that you talked about. But I, I think it's really cool that you're sort of bringing that sort of you know cultural writing style even to your work now and I know to each to their own but I feel like you know poetry is poetry and people should appreciate some of the um, you know various forms of it <laughs> absolutely I, I agree and I think you know it's it's important to for us to incorporate our culture because it is part of our identities into our work um, you know I come from a very different background and I'm trying now to kind of represent, you know, like with my next project, I'm for the first time, I'm actually writing like a, you know, a character who is Syrian American, and that feels very new and very different. I'm like, I need to like address that the right way and have to like worry about how the representation is going to come off. But I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I can't wait. Are, are they going to be sad? <laughs> uh, They're going to be not just sad. They're going to be downright tragic. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Going, going right for the gut. 
<laughs> yes, but in a very dark way, like very, very not not sad, but more like uh distressing. Yeah, that's what that's the next mood. That's the distressing girl fall. <laughs> it all works out. Favorite season. <laughs> Uh, tell me about your inspirations. Do you draw any, like, you know, is there specific media that you draw inspirations for your characters for? Because, you know, reading your work, dialogue is such a strong suit of yours. And I, I, you know, I struggle in that because I haven't written dialogue in a while. So I would love to pick your brain on that. Like, where do you get this, like, natural writing style of yours? Is there any inspiration? Is there any form of media that you enjoy? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. To be honest, personally speaking, I always thought that I, dialogue was something I struggled with. So so hearing someone says that they enjoyed it, I guess that's pretty validating. Thank you. Um, but in, in terms of, I guess, uh, I don't know, I pull inspiration from a lot of things. I think when it comes to just general comic book making, I, you know, Batwoman Elegy was a big inspiration mm -hmm. for And We Love You and Commander Rao just for the layouts and the way, like, the, those fancy layouts worked with the story. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes so to dialogue and, and story pacing, to be honest, I pull a lot of inspiration from video games. Really? Yeah, like, I, I, I really love a lot of RPGs like Mass Effect and Dragon Age, and they always have, like, you know, like a billion different, like, dialogue options for everything. So, um, I don't know. I just kind of like, <laughs> I play a lot of video games. So I try to pull from like, you know, what the characters are doing and what seems natural and like how, you know, their responses to your certain, you know, responses when you click the dialogue wheel and just kind of study that. <laughs> um, I, I actually used to play or like mod Skyrim and I like made a lot of my own NPCs and followers in Skyrim and I would write like like really long dialogue trees for all my custom followers so if anyone wants an exercise in dialogue that is a great way to go about it. <laughs> I love that you know like I think what, what, what I really enjoy about your dialogue is it's effective and it's like it, you know it's it's it says the right words in just the right length without like going overboard about like over explaining or over delivering the message. Like it's it's straight to the point, but it's also very effective. And I just, I really enjoy that. And I think it's, it is definitely a strong suit of yours. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think part of that brevity is because I'm like, I only have like so many pages and I need to like, <laughs> you know, get this point across. So I'm just like, okay, well, I, I am short of time. So let's just make them, you know, to say something that's, important but leave out the rest yeah so uh going on to my i guess uh, next question do you have any favorite comic books that you are reading right now okay so i talked about this on twitter recently but i have i've been I've, i haven't read comics in a while like making comics takes a lot of time <laughs> and so i've been really like i fell off so i've been trying to do some catching up lately um I've been, you know, coming back into Marvel. I haven't read a Marvel comic book since, gosh, like July of last year. So I recently finished The Variants by Gail Simone and Phil Noto and obsessed. So good. Like, I always used to think that not, nobody can top Kelly Thompson when it comes to writing Jessica Jones because she's one of my favorite characters. But Gail captured her voice so well. And I just love the story that they went with it. It was such a good direction for her character to go, to just like face her demons in her own reflection. Genius. Love it. Uh, so that was one of my current favorites. And I'm also getting into, well, re-getting into, because I stopped reading it a while back, but I really want to get into Die by Kieran Killen. 
Yes, I've heard great things. I've read the first few issues and I'm hooked. So I can't wait to get into it properly and like finish all of it. Oh, nice. See, I've, I've actually read those two things. So I feel like I, I actually I can actually have context on what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> I also love Gale and Phil. So uh, like the variant is probably one, like one of the only Marvel things that I've picked up recently as well. And it was, as you said, pretty fantastic. Um, I also really enjoyed Die, although I felt like... <laughs> For me, I think I think you know it's a really beautiful comic, but personally, it lost me a little bit throughout, like as I got halfway through the book, because it's it's a lot and there's a lot of world building and it's pretty heavy, but it's you no. Know, <laughs> I I love I love Gillen so much and his work, but he he does do that. Like I've read, have you read The Wicked and the Divine? It yeah. also gets a lot in the middle. Like, I got lost. I was like, which year are we in? Are we time jumping? What is going on at this point? But then, like, he finds a way to wrap it up in a neat little bow. And I just enjoy that. But he gets, he he's really good at setting up stories. <laughs> I'll give him that. Yeah, like, Wicked and Divine. Like, I've read that whole series. But if you ask me to reiterate the plot, I can tell you the beginning. <laughs> you lose me in, in kind of the, the middle, though. Exactly. But overall, the vibe, I still dig it. And I'm still like, I, I really enjoyed this. <laughs> I Absolutely the same. Like, I'll tell you, okay, Lucifer died and then blank. <laughs> yes. You know, the, there was the Morgan in the subway, then blank. <laughs> yes, I, I do remember that part. See? People <laughs> died, but <laughs> they're gone. <laughs> Oh, uh, so I would love to know if you have anything, you know, on the horizon that you could share some information about what genres you're exploring, what different styles, like, I'm so excited about your future projects. I know so little about them besides the collage that you posted on Twitter. That is, <laughs> that is hilarious. So I would love to know more. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'm working on several, several mystery <laughs> projects right now. Um, like I said, I've been trying to get back into writing, so I'm just kind of writing things now. Um, where I'm, uh, like uh, co-writing a, a sort of fantasy project that we're trying to pitch with uh, my friend Michelle Abinader. Um, it's like Love a Michelle. horror fantasy thing, and it's it's very cool. It's very dark. I, I hope that we can find a home for it because I was very excited about it. Uh, I'm also trying to dip my toes and doing more YA stuff. So <laughs> um, if you've seen the secret concept art collage, then you <laughs> might have an inkling on how insane that idea might be but it's gonna be gay and it's gonna be fun and it's gonna be YA and I'm gonna try to avoid people dying at all <laughs> if I can <laughs> I feel like that's not super YA but we'll see how much I can get away with <laughs> and no, I mean, I've read YA deaths before yeah, it's it's a thing. It's a thing, right? It's a thing. Yeah, I've, I mean, I remember distinctly reading the Beautiful Creatures series, mm -hmm. and the main character dies in book three. And I remember <laughs> logging onto Twitter. I was like fourteen, and I started like I rage tweeted at Kemi Garcia, and she literally replied, and she was like, "Read the fourth book." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. But yeah, I guess I guess Hunger Games is YA, and everyone dies, so I guess yeah. maybe get away with it. That's true. Hunger Games is very dark for a YA novel series, though. Yeah. Like, the concepts, the politics, all of it is, like, very advanced for the YA. I think it's, like, pushing the YA line very hard. Yeah, I guess I guess it counts because the protagonist is, like, 16. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do you have any kind of, like, dream projects that you'd love to work on? Like, if you, could like, work on any project and just have all the funding for it right now. 
Uh, oh my gosh. So I am working on a few, but like ultimately a dream project of mine would be doing a Silver Surfer book with Dennis because we both have such a love for that character. And with Dennis's style, I think, oh my God, I think it would turn out so good. Uh, we actually did, we're working on a, a like a one pager for Silver Surfer, celebrating his history. Uh, it's for his portfolio. So he asked me to like write a few one pagers so he can, you know, pump his portfolio full of like Marvel and DC stuff. So I wrote a few characters and Silver Surfer was one of my favorite one pager because I'm very well versed in the surfer lore. And so I, I did like a splash page. Um, like it was like divided into several panels and each panel celebrated a different run of the surfer's history and, you know, his future. And I, I love it so much. I can't wait for everyone to see it. Uh, but yeah, that would be like the dream book uh, if, if I could get any book made. Uh, but, uh, you know, for my personal projects, one pitch that I'm working on right now that I'm just dreaming about, about it getting picked up so we can actually make it is this book called Elysian. Uh, it's the book that I mentioned has a Syrian American character. She's the lead. Uh, she's a private eye, uh, very noir, very psychological thriller. There's some body horror in there and some fantasy thrown in. Uh, it's one of my favorite things. I wrote it as a short film back in like school when I was like 19 or 20. And I've been wanting to go back to it ever since. So reworking it now, I'm working on it with some several very talented people. I mean, I think I can say their names. I'm not like on a <laughs> NDA or anything. I'm working with Annie Roger on the art and he's doing such a phenomenal job. And we have Avery Bacon on colors. They're so fucking talented. Sorry, sorry. I don't know if I can cuss. They're so freaking talented. <laughs> um, so yeah, that is that, that is my most like hyped up book. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, and we're, again, we're going to shop it around. Hopefully we get it picked up so we can bring this story to life. It's going to be dark. It's going to be grisly. And it's going to be a lot of Assyrian culture and history and mythology that I've been really wanting to share with the world. Yeah, I mean, I think you've shown me some stuff from that and it looks very, very cool. So I am super excited. Like, honestly, the stuff you've shown so far, it looks insane. So oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for to see what you're cooking up as well. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm working on like such different things. Like on one hand, I've like wrote some like really depressing like sad stories and now i'm just like i want to make something ya for kids have fun i'm like having my mad max the creator of mad max made pappy feet moment pretty much <laughs> you know i am i'm doing a pitch also for an mg book so like even younger than ya it's very wholesome and it's very out of my league out of my element <laughs> But it's fun, right? Like sometimes it's you so just fun. need to balance out the sad. <laughs> yes, it's so fun. It's like this cute book about magical cats and they cast their spells with their paws and they're like little beans start glowing. It's the cutest thing. So <laughs> if this one gets made, it'll be such a huge departure from from like what people are used to seeing from me. So I'm like a bit scared of the reception, but I'm also excited to be writing this book. It's just your range, you know, you know, you can, you can do everything. You can make like super sad poetry and you can make book about cats with powers. <laughs> I hope, I hope, I mean, I hope I get the, get the chance to, you know, to make them. Fingers crossed. I'm waiting for you. <laughs> uh, so Fel, I have a question for you. Uh, so now that you're a seasoned veteran, you're Ringo nominated, soon to be Ringo award winning, Fingers crossed, I'm manifesting it for you. Uh, what is any advice that you would give to any newcomer onto the scene? What is the one thing that you feel like is essential knowledge to know to you know to break into the industry? Oof, oof. 
That's actually kind of a difficult question to answer because my own personal mantra is that everybody should take all advice with a grain of salt and that not everything can sort of universally apply to anything. I feel like people's journeys to making comic books is so varied, you know, depending on where they're coming from, it, it's hard to give blanket advice. So my... <laughs> personal mantra on how I approach comics making, if you wish to follow it, is to always try to enjoy what you're making. Um, like, love what you're making and just make it because it's fun, because it's meaningful to you. And, you know, don't, I know it's hard, but try not to worry about the numbers or, you know, the, the engagement or the algorithm and just if you like if you can't find personal fulfillment in what you're making if if like five breadcrumbs and a paperclip are your only readers i have found that you know you're not going to find much fulfillment even when you know you have a bigger audience i think you really have to love what you're making and believe in it and people will come when they see kind of that passion because passion follows passion. Um, but again, you know, that might not apply to everybody. So if you don't want to follow that and do your own thing, that's also fine. But I think that's just kind of what I've always been doing. Whatever I do, I always make sure I love it and that I also want to do it, even if it was read by five breadcrumbs and a paperclip. <laughs> you know, that is that's actually good advice for me because like I've been guilty of, always kind of moving the goalpost towards like what I want to accomplish. And like, I never really t take a second to sit back and enjoy what, what we, what we like, how far I've come. Cause I personally feel like I have done a lot in the past year, but I'm always like shifting that goalpost, to, like where I want to be that I never really relish in, in everything that has, has happened to me so far and everything that, you know, has come my way, which is, you know, amazing. I feel like I, I am very grateful to where I am. But I'm also, I suffer from the, you know, uh, ambitious child burned out too soon kind of syndrome, you know, <laughs> like the, the, the golden child always acing it in school. And then you just like hit that burnout region. Uh, so I, I, you know, I'm trying to like limit that and just kind of enjoy the moment, as you said. Yeah, I mean, I think especially in comic books, especially when you're like on Twitter and social media, you always see people doing things all the time and it, it, it kind of gets into people's heads. And like, to be honest, you know, I say, you know, you should always love what you're doing. But even sometimes I get that sort of um, like, you know, the, the the ambition and the go post moving and always wanting more and more. And I think the fact that I was the second child and my sister, I saw what my sister went through because she was also an artist who kind of got burnt out and I saw like what she had to deal with and that's kind of what you know I actually kind of learned from her journey and learned or like figure out my own way of how to avoid going down that path for myself yeah. so I think that's kind of how I approach things the way I do now or at least I try to sometimes you have bad days but yeah no it's very solid advice really mm-hmm um so i mean how about you do you have any kind of advice you want to give to you know other other creators out there now that you've got like this amazing book out you're working on so many other cool projects um i think like i've been saying this since day one but i feel like the most important thing i found in my comic book making journey is the community and i think it's very important to find your community find your peers find your people and genuinely take the time to connect with them not just for networking not just for you know 
gaining something or benefiting something from them. Like genuinely find your people because those are your biggest allies and your biggest supporters and biggest fans and also will be your biggest, you know, your best friends, really. Um, I've met some incredible people, present company included, that I've, you know, I've had the pleasure of knowing over the past year since I started making comics. And I think that's that's been the most the, one of the highlights for me. You know, if I wasn't making comics, I would not have met you or Michelle Abinader or Dennis Menier, who are, you know, very close people to me now. And yeah, I, th I just think it's extremely important just to have these these peers and these allies that you can, you know, bounce ideas off of, you know, build each other up. You can help each other out in, in meaningful ways that isn't that, that's beyond just like comic book benefiting, you know, and I think that's something very important, building those genuine connections. Yeah, I 100% I agree. Um, like I said, like meeting you, meeting Jordan and just, you know, getting to chat here right now. I, I honestly, you know, back everything that you said, like having that community, making those friends is super important. And it's like not even you don't even have to make friends in like just comic books. Like I've, you know, before I got into comic books, I was a huge Dragon Age fan. So then, you know, I applied to some Dragon Age zines. I met some friends there. And then, you know, when I went on to make comic books, you know, they they still went and supported my comics, even though they weren't Dragon Age related. So, you know, just just making friends in general, I think just makes you a better person. <laughs> <laughs> yes, make, go make friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely yeah. uh, my next question for you is what is your ritual like what do you do to get into the zone uh, do you have a process do you like light some incense do you make yourself a nice cup of tea do you blast some like I don't know heavy metal music like everybody has their own approach and I'm just genuinely interested in how you approach you know your process Oh gosh, to be honest, I, I don't even think I have that much of a ritual. Like I literally, I, I wake up, I boot up the computer and then I, I go through my emails and then I just start my workday based on like a checklist of things I have to do. Um, I, I, wish it, I wish it was more of like a, a cool spiritual journey for me where I got the time <laughs> to get into the zone. But when I, when I started getting more work in comics, you know, for better or for worse, I realized I needed to set boundaries. So I, I treat it almost like a nine to five <laughs> at this point when I'm working. I'm just like, when I work, I have to work. Um, I do like listening to music while I work. Um, so I just put on like relaxing Studio Ghibli soundtrack music. And that, <laughs> that usually helps. Um, I also like watching nature documentary, <laughs> documentaries while I work. I don't know why I find like David Attenborough's voice very soothing and it just like gets me in the mood when I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. For me, it's like, I am, I'm definitely like such a morning person that I cannot start work in the evening. Like if I have to work, I'm like, okay, first thing tomorrow I'm working. And so I get up, I make myself like a cup of coffee and then I sit down with like the goal of like starting doing the work. But if I get something like, oh, there's this, you know, there's something I need to do in the middle of the night. I, I genuinely cannot, I, I can like push myself to do it, but I just can't get the focus. Like it's like the flow isn't there. So at sometimes like I would get, for example, edits on a script. And like, you know, there's like these, this and so and so you should, you know, fix and work on. I'm like, sure, I'll get that right on the morning. Like, I'll get that. I'll get to that tomorrow morning. I can't do it right now. 
Yeah, but I mean, that's good, though. It's like you're setting sort of boundaries for yourself and for your working time. Like when I first started making comics, I think my work hours were like 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. And, you know, after a year of doing that, I found out that it was kind of destroying my health. So then I, I pushed it back into a normal work hour. So then and I found that my productivity, my wakefulness and my stress levels have decreased greatly. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it's like my brain already has that boundary set in. Like even back when I was in school, I could not study if there was no sun. You know, I'm like the opposite of a nocturnal person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like I work a lot of night shifts in my day job, so I felt like that was also helping me push into becoming a nocturnal person. But I'm trying to be a normal person now. I mean, I do have some weird night shifts. Usually, my night shifts are like six p.m. to six a.m. Oh, pain. Yes. <laughs> it's okay. It's it, it's my job security. <laughs> let's see. Let's see. All right. I'm going to ask you a fun question now. Um, if you are on a bank heist and you can recruit like any fictional character to help you on this bank heist, who would you recruit? Oh my gosh. First of all, love the bank heist idea. Someone should make a comic book about bank heists. Yeah, right? Maybe with, like, queer people in it, you know? Right, totally. And, like, they're artists and they're, like, starving artists robbing the bank so they can make art. Yeah, and there's, like, a murder cult, maybe motorcycles. Just ideas. Uh, genius. See, this is, like, comic book, you know, making 101. You just, like, throw out ideas in there and it's just, like, like it works. Right. <laughs> but if I was going to recruit a character to like help me rob a bank, I think it would either be Zatanna because we need a getaway woman and just like she could e easily portal us out of there. Um, or, you know, maybe Black Cats. I mean, oh, they, they were a better thief. That is true. Yeah. You need, you need an experienced thief or like someone with magic who can get away with anything. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. But yeah, I'm I, I'm loving this bank heist idea. Yeah, it, it, you know, it seems like someone really should make it uh, into a, a real book. <laughs> I agree. My question for you is, what is your, you know, your comic book um, headcanon that's like the hill that you would die on? Ooh, ooh, like a hot take or <laughs> it could be a hot take it could be like a head canon that you're like convinced is canon but you're like refusing to believe it isn't real i think michelle would very much like you know understand this question <laughs> oh i'm trying to think because then okay let's see if i have head cannons i need to have read comic books that other people have also read <laughs> so i'm trying to think what my head canon would be um well in my heart of hearts, I have always wanted Batwoman to have, like, a, a happy ending and, like, a loving girlfriend and, like, just settle down. Like, I know DC Comics would never allow it, but that is, like, my dream for her. Like, Maggie, Renee, I don't care. Just, like, give her a stable girlfriend. Let her be happy. Let her get through the trauma. Because I remember, <laughs> you know, back when I was reading Batwoman, um... You know, they wouldn't let her marry, and then the creative team got booted, and I was very sad. So I remember that. I was gutted. Like, <laughs> reading that issue where she proposes to Maggie, I was like, oh my god, finally! Right? <laughs> yes, and then nothing was ever the same again. <laughs> really? Um, but yeah, anyway, so if I could, like, I don't know if it's my head canon, but, like, if I could just redo all of canon, I would just let them get married. <laughs> That's a very good one. <laughs> Mine is Spider-Man and Johnny Storm. Ooh. They have really good chemistry, okay? 
<laughs> I mean, you know what? You know what? I I approve. I I don't. To be honest, I don't know a lot about those characters other than what's on the movies. But you know. <laughs> If you've read like any of their interactions, especially like the most recent really good interaction, like Hangout, was in uh, Spectacular Spider-Man by Chip Zdarsky. They had like a couple of issues where they were just like hanging out. Like the chemistry was so much like it was so much. It's like popping off the page, and a lot of people ship them. I know that, and you know if it doesn't ever happen, I mean I love Mary Jane Watson, um, but you know I that, that's my ship. Well, you know what? I approve. If you like it, I also like it. <laughs> so I will I will back the ship for you. I will let them sail off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of speaking of Marvel, I know you said you really like Kieran Gillen's work. Have you read Journey into Mystery? I have not. Would you recommend it? 100%. I think that's probably my favorite work of his. It's how I got really introduced to his work. It is amazing. It is soul-crushing. It is beautiful. Like... Oh my god. And again, I think like Stephanie Hans does some of the work for it, especially in the later issues. And it is it's probably like one of my favorite Marvel stories. It is it's wonderful and so crushing. So you know, it's got all the ingredients. Yeah, the basic formula for a comic book is soul crushing. Just that. That's the only ingredient. (laughs) If my heart's not broken by the end, what's the point? (laughs) I mean, if you want your heart broken, I would, you know, highly recommend Saga. Oh my gosh. So so my sister she brought she bought like all three volumes from the store the other day and she was supposed to like lend them to me, but she forgot them at home and I was so mad because I have read like the first volume like way back in the day, but I haven't caught up with it. I think the more you catch up with it, it's like every couple of issues, it's like a heartbreak, it's a gut punch, it's it's a very good book. I haven't read past um since they came back from hiatus, uh, they took like a really long hiatus and haven't ca- got you know caught up since then. I think I'm going to wait for it to like completely wrap up in like five or so years. And then I'll just, like read the whole thing all over again because it's such a good journey. And it really needs your like your undivided attention to like remember all the details about the characters and the locations and what's going on, which I find sometimes difficult to do with like monthly books. Like I'll read a comic book and because I like I used to read so many at a time, like I used to pull 30 plus books. I would completely forget what had happened by the, the the next issue would come out, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I, I totally get that. It's been a long time since I've read Saga, though. I think literally I read volume one, like back in, come on, like 2014, 2013? Oh, you mean volume, volume one? I thought you meant like deluxe or collected volume one. No, I read volume one. <laughs> oh my gosh. You are in for a wild ride. I remember the spider died. <laughs> that's that's what I remember. <laughs> yeah, you're in. That's that's not even the beginning. You know, that's not even the start of it. Well, uh, w- when my sister comes back and brings me all three volumes, I will I will remember to read all of it. <laughs> Please do. Like, I think it is going to be right up your alley. It's like the definition of space opera, and I just think it's a it's a beautiful story. It's so well executed. You know, the pacing works, the world building works. It never gets too cluttered or confusing. It's very easy to follow along, and I, I love that about it. Yeah, I mean, it seems like something that I'd really love, so I, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I've asked you, like, most of my, my questions, so I'll just ask you some other random things now. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, if you could, would you rather fight a horse-sized chicken or ten chicken-sized horses? <laughs> what? 
I'm sorry these aren't comics related, but I wrote oh, no. it. I just read it off. Horse sized chicken. Horse sized chicken. Definitely 10 chicken sized horses. I feel like I could I could be I could I could I could take them on. Because like chicken is crazy wild. Like, you know, with the talons, like they they are they will scratch your face up. So a horse-sized chicken would like wreck me. Uh but I think I can tackle little mini horses. They'll be like, you know, what are they gonna do? Run? <laughs> I don't know. Chickens aren't that small though. I mean, I guess how tall are you? Uh well I'm like six one. Okay, that's pretty tall. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like five one. I'm just like, man, ten chicken sized horses, that's a lot of chicken sized things. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right. Um I would love to know what like, you know, outside of comics, what music do you enjoy listening to? Because I never th I don't think we've ever talked about music. Oh, music. Um I listen to a lot of things to be honest. Uh I, I you know, I, I think like my main thing, I listen to a lot of like indie rock, indie pop synth pop uh, my favorite band is beach house if you've listened to them then that's probably the whole vibe uh but i also really love i don't know i really like like movie soundtracks like some classical stuff i like ghibli music uh i've been listening to a lot of j-pop recently because i've just been riffing off like all those anime openings that i've been watching <laughs> yeah it really it re like i have phases like sometimes i you know i had I think for a while back before like the J-pop phase, I was listening to a lot of Taylor Swift because, you know, Midnight's came out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A bit of everything, to be honest. How about you? I mean, I also have phases, but like I've been having my K-pop phase for like two years, so I don't think it's a phase anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's an identity now. It's an identity. <laughs> I'm trying not to make it so, but it's like, it's, you know, I think what I like about K-pop is that it's so consistent in releases. Like there's always something coming out because you know, while you're waiting for a Western artist to release an album every three years, in that period of time, like a K-pop group will like release 10 albums, 17 music videos, do 15 world tours, and then break up, reband for a reunion. You know, like it's so, it's all so fast. So I think it's just like the constant stream of content that I enjoy. Um, but for Western music, like I really enjoy, you know, indie pop and dream pop and you know pop as a, as a genre as a whole I really re resonate with it I grew up listening to like Avril Lavigne and Britney so it's kind of like everything that I've yeah it's, it's been my journey um but like I really love Rita Sawayama um I you know she's one of my favorite artists I love Caroline Polachek just you know these really creative people that do something very different and experimental with pop like Charlie XCX for example mm -hmm. yeah so that's kind of my go-to music, but that's not stuff that I could listen to when I'm writing. So when I'm writing, I will turn on like lo-fi beats to study to with that Ghibli girl background. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. The classics. Yeah. Classics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but no, that's, that's very cool. I, I didn't know you were, you were a K-pop fan. I've tried getting into it and like, I definitely love it for the hype, but it, I just, I feel like I just don't know where to start. I will convert you. <laughs> Do it. Listen, I've gotten so many people into K-pop. It's scary how good I am at it. So I will find something for you and you will get into it. I promise. Amazing. I remember back in middle school, my friends were really into G-Dragon. I don't even know <laughs> thing anymore. But He's around, but he doesn't do anything really. He's not like oh, that active. But like, we'll find you something. Don't worry. Me and Michelle will collaborate on this. It's going to be our new project. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Give me all the recs. <laughs> <laughs> well...
um it's been really good talking to you and i'm glad we've had this opportunity to chat and get to know each other better on like a creative professional level and a personal level i think it's you know it's more enjoyable that way when you really like get into the nitty-gritty and then get to know each other yeah i had so much fun talking to you and like i i don't know i feel like i definitely got to you know even learn a little bit more about you today and it's been really fun just chatting and riffing off and yeah <laughs> right back at you thank you to anas and fell for joining us for this discussion anas can be found at anas underscore abdullah on twitter and instagram and etheris can be ordered through previews world fell's twitter is fellhound underscore Instagram is fell.hound and her website is fellhoundart.com. As always, I'll put all the links down in the episode description. Special thanks to Matt Campbell for composing our music and Patrick Hart for designing our logo. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creators on Comics Podcast. <laughs>